0: Yes, hello folks, welcome to the Weekly World Football Show. Um, I'm a host as always, joined with my regular co-host here, the excellent Zach Lowy, of course. Uh, our new weekly show has been coming to you now every Thursday for the last few weeks, that's what we intend to keep doing. Um, delighted to have Zach here, we've lots to talk about, of course, we're going to talk about the new Champions League format, we'll talk about Coppa Italia, we'll talk about the Erling Haaland transfer, and we'll see what else we can squeeze in before the end of the show. Um, folks... As we go forward, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have any particular comments or anything that you want us to cover, uh, just go ahead and tweet either myself or Zach. We'll start putting stuff out on the Beyond the Pitch Twitter page as well for uh, question and answer segments of this show going forward. Uh, please give us your feedback on it. It's a new show. Uh, we appreciate anyone that takes time to listen to it. And let us know if there's anything you would like us to do or improve on or change. Uh, we're wide open for ideas. Zach, first of all, how you doing, pal?
1: Hey, doing really well. Uh, excited to be back on for our second episode. You know, I know that I was on previously as a guest, but uh, it is exciting to be launching something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a, I think a more general view for anybody who doesn't know, you know, shameless plug uh, for my podcast on Portuguese football, um, doing a lot of work on niche to cover that league. Um, and I have an interview coming up with one of the breakthrough stars of the Primera Liga season, Andre Franco, who has 11 goals and four assists for promoted Storiel Praia, uh, and has been absolutely fantastic. So keep an eye on that uh, for breaking the lines. But really excited to be di- delving into more general topics with you uh, today as usual,
0: Phil. Thank you. As always, Jack, and uh, you're here because you're the brains. I'm not splitting the atom anytime soon. <laughs> so the first thing we want to talk about is the Champions League format. Um yeah. How me make it make sense? Because I've read it over three or four times. Some of the things make sense to me. Some of them don't. And so they're obviously changing the format, um, guaranteeing more games. Um, So obviously we know more games mean more revenue. This is, of course, what happened back in 92 when the original Champions League format came about when Leonard Johansson essentially looking at the US model of series and saying, OK, yeah. more games, more games, more, more more, revenue. They didn't like the fact that the first round of the European Cup, you could be drawn against AC Milan and Real Madrid, and one of those teams could get knocked out. They didn't like that, which I understand. Uh, you would have to say, when they changed the Champions League format, it was a resounding success. Um, but there was also potential discussion about legacies and about legacy clubs getting in on their coefficient. That seems to have been done away with. So tell me a bit about this Champions League format, Zach.
1: No, as you mentioned, I I think that if if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And I think that over the past few weeks, we have seen an absolutely sensational run of games in the Champions League, not just in the knockout run, but also in the group stage, looking at the likes of, you know, Paris Saint-Germain against Real Madrid, uh, Real Madrid against Manchester City, just so many classics. And for me, it is just uh absolutely inexcusable to change such a successful format uh for the sole sake of greed and you know allowing these elite teams right who have carved out a legacy in the past right in many cases the 20th century who have not done that much in the past 10 or 20 years uh, to allow their brand and financial status to give them an unfair advantage against you know the more modest teams such as Villarreal, uh, such as Ajax, uh, such as Monaco, so many examples that we've seen in recent years it really is disgraceful.
0: So explain that to me exactly hi because they're claiming that sport and merit is still at the heart of this. They're saying that um, it doesn't resemble a Super league. Uh, it's not a closed competition where, you Know we essentially select the best 20 teams in Europe. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, Zach. Right? A lot of this is confusing. The Europe, Europa League, the Europa Conference League, high teams are qualifying for the Euros night. There's just it's the, you, know, you got to win a league and you got to win another league and then you get relegated. And it to me it is extremely complex Night to try to understand high on earth. Uh, any of these things work? I'm not the brightest guy, I'll accept that. I've taken more drugs than Lance Armstrong, so I can accept that. <laughs> but tell me, um, why, why, uh, when you say um, about access for legacy clubs that haven't done much in the 20th, So are you telling me that they don't have to qualify in the in, in the way that they used to?
1: Yeah, it, that's what it sounds like. I think that uh, looking at uh, what they are considering giving two legacy spots, I believe, uh, which I think is not based on merit. Uh, for me, that's that's really undeserved. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and when you look at it, so they're going to the old Swiss system. They're going to a Swiss system, as they say. Uh, this is used, of course, in CONCACAF as well, where you don't play everybody twice, and you have... But they're saying the fixtures in these group tables will be known before so it's not going to be randomly selected the way it is in chess or whatever. Um, this yeah. is really confusing to me.
1: Yeah, I, I really do not have any explanation for it. Honestly, it is uh, inexcusable. And honestly, to, to see the wor- you know worldwide rejection of the Super League and the instantaneous failure of it just a year ago happen... For, for UEFA to sneak this in, I think, it, for me, it would be disgraceful. So I really do think that the footballing community, being at being footballers, uh, footballing associations such as the Premier League, such as La Liga, uh, such as Serie A, you know, pulling their weight, as well as the will of the footballers and managers, I think. It really needs to be a group effort uh, to stop this from happening. Will it happen? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. When we look at super league why it failed was really because of social media and because of looking at uh just how many fans really the power of the fans for me i think it's going to be in the players ball
0: because that really is another factor in the players because you know you look at all these extra games that players have to play right you've got a world cup coming up halfway through this next season uh this is a 36 team tournament it group stages two extra match days right so the load on players is increasing, increasing, increasing. And you just wonder when the, the, there's, there's players' unions and what have you come out and say, wait a minute here. This is, I mean, the stress that's being put on players, of course, the last people to be considered in the are the fans. We had a Champions League group format a number of years ago where there were two group stages. A second group stage ended up getting cancelled because there was too many meaningless games, Right. So yeah. what you are claiming is the club coefficient is gone, and it's going to be thirty-two to thirty-six clubs. There's going to be two extra match days um, for these clubs. To, uh, that seems like an awful lot to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And once again, I think player safety is not taken into account. That is really the one thing, biggest more than all that we are ignoring, guys. We are we are having more and more injuries. Uh, Mm -hmm. long-term injuries with players. And it is really because of the overusage. You know, players do not have that chance to take a break and take a breather and we are pushing them past their limits. Uh, I do think that, you know, the institution of five substitutes has perhaps helped a bit uh, in the other way. But uh, with that being said, we are putting players to the brink here and we are going to see the consequences. I think even further, if, if bigger name stars... Uh, pick up long-term
0: injuries? Even with five subs, five subs heavily favours the big clubs. They have the money to have much bigger squads. Um, and even with that, most managers are not making five subs in a game, right? They just don't. And so you you look at the likes of Jurgen Klopp, you look at the, these managers. You know, I remember in 1991-92 season, United had to play five games in seven days. Or eight days I think it was, which was truly insane. Right. And here we have Jürgen Klopp coming out. Uh, and I understand his frustration, I understand his anger. And look, it's just not, you can't do this because there's no time to train. I mean, whenever Peter Schmeichel went to uh sport in Lisbon, yeah, he was he came out and said, I need a break from this because there's no time to train. It's game, 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 game. And we know why yeah. this happens, right? And so what I see before we get to what I see ideologically, I still don't, I know five subs helps a little bit, but, but five subs is half of your outfield team. There's no way managers are making five subs in a game, unless it's a game they're winning comfortably or uh, unless it's a game that's meaningless. Right. And so, or you have a rise of injuries. So, when you've got the likes of Jurgen Klopp coming out and other managers screaming about the fixture pilot for teams that are doing well, I, I don't see how this helps him. I don't see how this helps anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that I wouldn't say it's hypocritical of Klopp, but you, you have to acknowledge that this is something that's affecting everybody.
0: So ideologically, Zach, if you look at the yeah. way European football is going... Um, where of course most of the money is. And it's been on this trajectory for a while. And I'm not criticizing American sports at all. This is just an this is just, I'm just saying it's analogous. You see European football moving towards a US model. That's what the Brian said was behind the Super League was to have a yep. closed system where you don't get punished for failure and where you the revenue keeps on coming. And the assumption. That the end product will still be something that fans completely buy into the fans will continue to pay uh, and fi- lots of other things do, do, uh, what do you think if you had that crystal ball you see football 10 years down the line yep. what do you think will be the major changes
1: i don't think there will be any major changes with regards to player safety i think that we are going to see players continue to be pushed towards the brink with more but i think we will see the consequences in terms of injuries and in general fatigue you know fatigued uh, playing uh, i think that's definitely a potential consequence but um, i'm talking about take a,
0: i'm yeah. talking about the shape of the game i'm talking about do we yeah. 10 years from now do we see no more promotion and relegation do we see league titles like let's say liverpool and city finish the season with a point between them You know what? We're not going to finish the league anymore with by losing a point. We're going to have a playoff. We're going to have a game. If if you're within three points of each other at the end of the season, you play each other. Right? Again, creating these big events. I I genuinely feel that football is trying really, really hard. And and this is not America's fault. The Europeans are adopting this right to where they limit the risk. Risk. I mean, make sure one of the obviously major risks. I hate to keep bringing this conversation back to United, but when I looked at the Glazers' takeover of Manchester United, and they had the list risk-reward, obviously, when you're borrowing money, and you look at a lot of those risks they listed, I can see why greedy people want to take that out of the game. But I personally don't want to watch anything that has that removes merit from the equation. Do you see us heading towards a game 10 years from now and where a lot of what we love about the game, the promotion, relegation, the merit um, will change. Cause one of the things I think will, will change quite a bit is streaming rights, television rights. I think that um, we will eventually go towards an a la carte menu where people buy a game. They're not paying subscription fees. They're not paying, you know, for all these games they don't watch. Because that's what big clubs want. They want to create separation financially between them and the smaller clubs. They'll sell it the smaller clubs on the premise that, look, if Manchester United or Juventus or any of these top clubs, they play a big team, they play a team, we're guaranteed 500 million subscribers will buy this game. The revenue that you get from those games will be far higher than what you would get in collective bargaining with, with, with leagues and what have you. So if you say to a norwich or someone like in a collective bargaining agreement you're going to get 100 million a year and under yeah. this you get 300 million but the separation between the big clubs and smaller clubs financially will become much bigger
1: yeah no absolutely and one thing that i will say uh, i think that uh, the in general the growing inequality between the bigger teams and the smaller teams i think will actually result in a few leagues uh, potentially joining together I know that Belgian the Belgian and the Dutch mm. League are in talks to do so I can see perhaps some teams in Eastern Europe you know potentially some teams in Asia forming uh I know that there's been talks with US and Mexico but you know forming these leagues
0: and when you look at something like that it seems like that's um far off right but yeah. but you've already got some of that happening I mean you take a look at Wrexham, for example, you take a look at some of the Welsh teams, Swansea, right? Those are not English teams, but they're playing in the English league, right? Because it's essentially it's a UK territory. Yeah. And so you can definitely see where the precedent has been set, where Scottish football, because a lot of these smaller leagues will not be able to survive without some sort of consolidation with other countries. And, And again, when we talk about... Television rates being the main general, main driver of, I mean, you look at Portugal, for example, you look at the, you know, Porto won the league this weekend, uh, last weekend, uh, and you, you look at the revenue that they get, Era Eredivisie, uh, last time I, I heard, I remember speaking to people of PSV, and uh, it's probably changed, telling me that they got three and a half million for winning the Vise. I mean, you just can't survive on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it also shows just how important uh, Champions League revenue is to these Portuguese teams. You know, after Benfica got knocked out uh, to Pauac in the Champions League qualifiers in 2020, they were forced to sell Ruben Diaz, obviously taking a Nicolas Otamendi the other way. Uh, and after Porto, same thing happened. After Porto missed out on uh, qualification to the Champions League round of 16, after losing to Atlético de Madrid on the final match day, Uh, Just weeks later, they were forced to sell Luis Diaz to Liverpool. Uh, So it just shows you how important European money is uh, to these teams. And for me, another reason why uh, the Primera, it needs to take that step forward in terms of revenue.
0: But even if you give these clubs more revenue, it's no guarantee of... proper financial governance. There's no guarantee of proper financial health, legitimate financial health. I'm going to switch my attention to Barcelona here for a second. This football club has been a stalwart of the Champions League, right? Massive revenue. But the way they've used that money has caused the club major problems. Here they are again needing to sell players. The major rivals, Real Madrid are banned. Mbappe, they're banned Rudiger, possibly many, whatever. Uh, they'll be active again this summer where Barcelona trying to move players on to generate revenue despite the fact when you look at the revenue they've generated over the last 10 years i think they're second in the world for for in european football for for revenue generated yet this football club will be will be hurting for years and years to come this is where my issue is with the governance of football is just throw more money at it yeah but that's not a guarantee uh, that these football clubs we need we need more competitions with more money? No, you don't. You need proper financial governance. You are making plenty of money. Mm-hmm. If you give someone who doesn't know how to manage money more money because they squandered the last, they'll just squander this too. And this is my issue with FFP. We'll get to that a bit because um, it doesn't tackle debt, yeah. and uh, which is to me ridiculous. Uh, if you don't know, and we know why it doesn't tackle debt. Most of the top clubs who voted wanted FFP around that, um, and unfortunately this leaves football clubs extremely vulnerable. It also doesn't properly vet owners, right? The yeah. disgraceful, disgraceful ownership of European football clubs, right? Is indefensible. Right. And that right. is a, that is that is a quid pro quo because the people that run the game are more interested in making money than they are in protecting the well being of these football clubs. So just throwing more money at this isn't a guarantee of better outcomes.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's it's another reason why I think more importantly than ever, uh, more important than having the most money is knowing how to spend the money. That's why I think we've seen so many teams such as Atalanta, Villarreal having success uh, on both domestic and European fronts.
0: I Zach, you take a look at Barcelona's weeds, both yeah. compared to Real Madrid and what they're allowed to spend. It's 10% of what Real Madrid's allowed to spend right now. All right. Um, now I think it's going to go up I think they're they're allowed to increase it this year Um, but obviously they've had to get big earners off the books one of the reasons why they couldn't continue to say Messi they had to wait to sell players to register players they said in January they're going to have to sell again this summer we look at other clubs um, that are not in best financial health I know Covid has hit clubs hard the last couple of years Um, we see what Bayern Munich winning the 10th league title in, in Germany which is unbelievable a, a, a country that once was revered for its competitive balance for the way that league was run for this fan experience now you're saying how do you keep fans coming back when there's absolutely no hope of success how do you keep them interested I mean if you're a Norwich City fan or a Fulham fan or any club that's uh, up and down your best hope of success is to stay up yeah. I mean then football's doing everything it can to take away the Leicester's to make sure no one ever does this again. But how do you retain the interest of the public like this? I I don't think I I really think football's going to cannibalize itself.
1: And and what do you mean by cannibalize specifically? I think,
0: so I think what's going to happen is <clears throat> there's an end point somewhere, right? So if yeah. you continue, let's say you go to European Super League, right? That to me is the end point. Because there's nowhere to go after that. The first thing you're doing is the teams outside of that Super League, right? You're ca- mm-hmm. casting them adrift and saying, you're irrelevant. Your fans are relevant. But it's not irrelevant. This is the roots, grassroots of the sport. And we don't really care what happens to you because the only thing that matters is the 20 clubs in the Super League. But someone has to finish bottom that Super League. Someone has to finish second bottom. Those fans will feel just as disillusioned as the Norwich and the Fulham fans. right? Those fans are going to lose interest. And inevitably, you're going to have the cities, the PSG, two or three clubs that have wealth that nobody else can match that will dominate. I mean, we're going to get the Erling Hall thing in a minute. But once that happens, where does football go? Where's the next step? How do you improve upon the Super League? This is the problem. When you choose money as the only motivating factor, right? Yeah. Then you get a soulless experience, right? You need something that. That's great for the players. That's great for the clubs. That's great for television. But every single thing, Zach, revolves around one thing the fans ban into it. Because if the fans don't pay, the fans don't watch, there is no Super League. There is no television revenue. There is no, 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 no UEFA uh, revenue. None of this. And if yeah. football, the, the, with, with the selection of sports that's available to young kids today because of the internet, right, yeah. the, the selection is much greater. And also, we'll, we'll talk, if we get time, we we'll touch on the EA Sports thing because I think that's a, that's another problem with the with the FIFA game. But um, yeah. I think football needs to be very, very careful about being complacent in its place in uh, world football, thinking fans are always going to pay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as we saw in the um, aftermath of the COVID nineteen pandemic, you know, not having fans really took a toll on the club's finances. So, you know, that was just a minor picture, but driving them away uh, and making them disinterested, I think, you know, so many teams have become accustomed to fighting it out in the championship or either going up to the Premier League and then going back again, like Fulham or Watford, right? Uh, So I can easily see why some fans would just become disillusioned with, you know, new promises and new owners, you know, big money, uh, tycoons who promise new things but uh, you know just end up landing them in more trouble uh you're absolutely correct
0: well just imagine a scenario <clears throat> 20 teams in the european super league and all 20 teams are owned by wealthy benefactors countries whatever how do you keep the guy interested to finish his bottom second bottom third from bottom how do you go to him and say because this is all legal Right, these are all these states competing with each other. How do you say to um, some guy who just finished bottom after spending a billion, saying, Yeah, throwing another billion, you know what? I'm out of here. And then you have a Chelsea situation where the football club cannot sustain itself, be it without that massive investment to cover its bills, because revenue alone does. I mean, we we see the financial double at Manchester City, they now have the highest revenue in world football, which is a total joke. Everybody knows where that money's coming from. Everybody knows that. I mean, there's a very clear correlation between city success and being bought by Abu Dhabi, right? Uh, I mean, pr- prior to and Shinawatra, Manchester City were, I mean, a decent-sized club, but were never any threat to the. Would never be where they are right now, and everybody knows that, right? But, and then again, city knocked out this Champions League semi-final. PSG knocked out. Look what's happened to PSG, right? The novelties wore off, sec. and now the owners getting really upset because they're not getting the return on their investment that they that they were promised, that they thought they would get at this point. Same with City, and I, and I'm looking at that, going these two teams have spent two billion between them, not a Champions League to show for it. So my question is, I don't think you can have twenty top teams in a league, and they retain their identity, retain their brand. I mean, think about what it does for a brand and identity of a football club to finish bottom of the Super League despite the fact you're one of the European giants.
1: Yeah. And I also think that, you know, it is a two-way street. Uh, it potentially drives away some new owners mm-hmm. seeing like, you know, I don't know if, if, they, if they had to do it again. Would, would KSI purchase uh, Paris Saint-Germain again? You know, I'm not sure yeah. they would. I think they've become sort of frustrated with, you know, obviously Mbappe not wanting to renew already and uh, Neymar, uh, you know, I think they would definitely have some regrets, but uh, it is a two-way street. And I do think that uh, it at a certain point, it's going to drive down the interest.
0: Well, <clears throat> Part of the problem is with Neymar. Neymar's facing questions that you can't answer in the French League, right? You don't go from La Liga to Ligue 1 to prove you're the best player in the world. You do that in reverse because you're always going to have an asterisk and killing Mbappe is the perfect example of that. Right. Mbappe, a very, very, very good player. But you can't make complete assessments on them while you're just playing in the French League. You need to see him in other leagues. All right? Lionel Messi did it late in his career, already settled, saying, you know, we all know he's one of the greats. Right? That, that's when you make that move. You don't do that the prime of your career and psg between mbappe and neymar was that close to 500 million between the two of them um yeah about 400 something so there's no way they got a return on that investment and there's no way neymar stock is higher today than what it was when he was at barcelona absolutely not yeah i mean and just look,
1: I think that Paris Saint-Germain will try to sell Neymar, but I'm not too sure who, who is going to be interested in him, mm-hmm. uh, considering his wages.
0: You forget about his wages, Zach. If you're, if you're a club, if you go to a club in Europe and say, give me $150 million for Neymar, would you pay it? I wouldn't.
1: I I would not. I think that Paris Saint-Germain, the best they could do would be you know, $70 million. He is, frankly, just not that good anymore. I mean, Uh, Yeah, for me, he has fallen off so much after a promising start to his life. And in Paris Saint-Germain, I think that the injury in his first season uh, really took this thing out of him. Back then, uh, at that moment, I think that was the best version of Neymar we have seen. And for me, he's just fallen off so much in terms of consistency. And we've seen really Kylian Mbappe uh, go from uh, an effective one-two punch in attack to really Mbappe just carrying the load this season.
0: And, you know, I look at Neymar and I think his stock was higher at Barcelona. He's gone to PSG and he looks like a guy whose heart isn't in it. And this is the problem with using money as the biggest reason to sign for a club, right? Biggest motivating factor. How am I going to get Neymar to sign for PSG above any other top club? We're going to... Tell them we're going to pay you so much more than everybody else. Okay, it's great for a while. But if you're a hard start in the project, I hate to say this, right? I mean, the, the, the similarities between PSG and Manchester United are, are, are almost identical, right? You've got to have other reasons for players wanting to come to your club. It has to be about buying into your ideology, about having an identification with the fans, having an identification with the shirt, wanting to play for the club, there has to be more reasons than just I'm going to pay you a lot more money because that doesn't motivate human beings once they've got us to a certain level where I completely financially set, you know, does Neymar get up in the morning and go, Oh yes. And get another 700 grand today. Yeah. I mean, it does he, I'm clearly, surely he doesn't. And so this is what I'm saying. Like there has to be more to it. Um, I think city have done well in this sense where now players want to play for Manchester City, yeah. right? Uh, Paris obviously has the attraction of this beautiful city. England has the attraction of this exceptional league. Uh, so you can take your foot off of gas in France, right? And still be dominant, although they lost the league last year. Uh, this is a club that won its 10th league title uh, a yeah. week or two ago. Sacked their manager and the fans protested on a day they won the league. That was unthinkable prior to being bought by the Qataris. So then you look at Manchester City, couldn't fill their stadium the first day after winning the league. Right? There's something plastic about this that doesn't translate to fans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that to a point they will see through it. And uh, looking at Paris Saint-Germain, you know, a a season that saw them, you know, lose early in the, but in the Coupe de France to Nice, uh, lose in the round of 16 to Real Madrid, and only accomplish a league title that, frankly, I think was defined more by the ineptitude of their rivals, Nice, Marseille, Rennes, and just inconsistency. Um, there really was never an effective title challenge, as we saw last season from Lille and Monaco. Um, so I definitely think that. Uh, next season, it will be more competitive, especially looking at how likes of Marseille, at um, under Jorge Sampaoli are going into you know their second full season. Christophe Galtier going into second season at Nice, uh, Lyon. We'll see what happens there. I'm not too sure if Peter Bos will continue, um, but as well Bruno Genesio doing a good job at Rennes.
0: Yeah, really. And I want to ask you why we're still on this topic about the transfer of Erling Haaland, of course. One of the big transfers that have happened in the last week. Um, obviously, his buyout clause uh, was 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 reasonable. All the rest of the associated costs are extraordinary. I mean, you'd have coming out saying no one else could compete for Erling Haaland. City were the only club that could afford to do this. Maybe PSG, of course. Um, but I'm looking at this transfer and He's clearly one of the best young strikers in the world. But I hear Newcastle come out and say, we cannot go out this summer and have a massive spending spree because we have to comply with FFP. FFP to Manchester City has been advisory. Uh, Maybe we'll comply, maybe we won't. They've already admitted previously they didn't comply. They've already shown that they're basically unenforceable in the European Court of Law. Yeah. So why do Newcastle have to comply with the FFP? Why does AC Milan have to comply with the FFP? Why does all Inter Milan have to comply with FFP? But but City don't.
1: Yeah, I honestly think it may have something to do with some insider uh, shady backdoor links between the owners and UEFA. Honestly, because the the thing about FFP is for me it's just lost so much value lost any value as an authoritative source Uh, we've seen just so many times when likes of manchester city or you know whatever have have gotten uh caught and caught with ffp and there really is no punishment whatsoever um and then yet we've seen so many other clubs such as ac milan have to spend a year uh banned from uefa due to ffp so honestly uh, you know for me it's just lost so much significance and it, it they for me they need to tear down immediately well, and that,
0: replace something else you're absolutely right I mean you've al Khalifa who of course a very very cozy relationship with UEFA who Michelle yeah. Platini was crucial and Macron was crucial to getting them to invest and buy PSG uh, you know to me we know I, I'm, I'm not I'm not a must. I'm not saying FFP is perfect. It certainly isn't. And I do believe FFP was brought in by the big clubs to stop exactly what Manchester City and PSG were doing by pushing up the price of mediocrity, pushing up the price of players, pushing up the price of wages for clubs who weren't owned by wealthy benefactors. And they didn't like this. Um, but my, my main criticism is it doesn't tackle debt. right now. Barcelona's debt is what put them in trouble. Manchester United's debts of disgrace. So many of the top clubs are in such scandalous levels of debt, right? For no reason, by the way. It doesn't attack that. So it's essentially and impotent. Uh, it's completely evident regulation that um, the top clubs have the best lawyers, that is basically laughed at. And I really don't understand what the motivation is for Newcastle to have to comply whenever they could do exactly the same as what Manchester City done. Just, you know, I know that there was more regulations brought in when Newcastle bought the, when they bought the Newcastle, when they bought Newcastle about um, making sure sponsorship revenue was commensurate with what your brand is, your global reach is, so that you can't turn around and go, well, last year we were getting 20 million in revenue for sponsorships. This year we're getting 500 million. You know, it's ridiculous, of course, right? By shell companies that don't even exist. So, um, and then there's the other part of this that I think is really pernicious that really needs to be looked at, is them owning multiple, the City Football Group owning multiple clubs across the world, right? Which is essentially uses a shell game to move players around. Uh, And if you look, RB Leipzig and all the other clubs do this with Red Bull to make sure the revenue stays in-house, right? Uh, Make sure they increase revenue between their clubs, which allows them to spend more and move players where they want. That is something that shouldn't be allowed to happen. You see the Potsy family do this. There's, To me, that is a serious, serious problem.
1: Yeah, I, I agree to agree um, to, to a bit. But, you know, you also have to admit that a lot of these clubs have received a financial bonus by being, you know, a partner club and having a players coming in. Yes, there are parasitic examples, I would argue, with Watford and Udinese, but there are also um, some, I think, more positive examples, in fairness. What are the positive examples? Um, so I think that Red Bull Bragantino it has been a positive example setting up that club in Brazil. Uh, it has done things the right way, I think, in in perhaps not the right way, but... Um, for me looking at the the sporting side looking at taking bets on these young players uh for really small amount of fees spending within their guidelines and really bursting becoming a sensation in the Brasileirao. uh for me that that is something that we've seen similar to the likes of uh, atalanta in recent years or leipzig obviously yeah. but i i completely agree with your point that you know, in a perfect world, like in perhaps 20 years ago, this would have never happened, right? And it it, it is something that is frustrating about European football. I'm just saying that there have been some teams, um, I would argue, who have had some positive economic examples. let's say.
0: Oh, there's no question. It has a positive yeah. economic impact, sporting impact yeah. on the clubs that are bought. Um, but if you look at someone like, Salford FC, <clears throat> owned yeah. by wealthy individuals who yeah. can afford to do things that other clubs can't in, in that yeah. in that level of football. That, to me, may be great for Salford FC, but for everyone else, it's catastrophic. Because yeah. now, all of a sudden, the standard wage in League One is, I don't know, I'm going to use an arbitrary number, say five grand a week. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Salford's coming in after 10, 15 Right? So that puts enormous pressure on clubs if they want to keep their best players to get promoted to continually push the boat out financially. We're going to take risks. We're going to do... I mean, and you need only look at Derby County to see... You need to look at Leeds. These clubs that are trying to finance success, roll the dice, trying to compete with other clubs that are not really in the same financial stratosphere on, I just don't think it's for... If you're competing where one guy has such a massive financial advantage over everybody else, because essentially what, what you've just done is it's a race for second place, right? Because we see, look, Zach, we saw what happened in Newcastle. Oh, he stayed up. They stayed, well, Of course he stayed up. I mean, look at the players they bought. Again, very clear correlation between the money being pumped in that football club and their success. And this is where I, I have a concern because we may never see and Ajax again, we may never see, you know, a, a Portuguese club win the Champions League again. I don't want to watch football that has the same three or four guys. I wouldn't want if I was a, a, a Borussia Dortmund fan or a Schalke fan, I'd lose interest.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it is all hypothetical, though. I, I think that uh, the fa- the passion that these fans have for their clubs, like Dortmund and Eintracht, despite. So many disappointing seasons is really, uh, you know, to be marveled at. And it really explains how much impact football has. But yeah, at a certain point, uh, you have to feel like it will become disillusioned, disillusioning, seeing the yeah. same teams, not necessarily them losing, but the same teams winning every single year.
0: You, you look at Erling Holland, right? If there is a negative, it, there is a concern, if I was a city fan of Erling Holland, he is quite injury prone. And I think it was Marco Rose. I can't remember. He had an issue with a Dortmund when they came out and said he had an ankle problem and his people were very upset about this. saying he doesn't have an ankle problem. Right. I was looking at his injury record. It's not great. Zach. Yeah.
1: I would be concerned about that
0: if I was sitting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, this season, I think he's missed what 40 games and, uh, for, for Dortmund, and, and the thing that concerns me is a bit similar to what we've seen with Harry Kane recently, you know, uh, going, and, and so many other young players who have really uh, said they're young, you know, they can afford to play on an injury, right, and really, you know, uh, risk injuring my ankle or my knee even further, you know, and for me, that's something we've seen with Haaland. Uh, we need, you know, for him as an athlete, he needs to be able to rest and have Guardiola tell him it's okay to rest this match, right?
0: Yeah, because I mean, his I, I was reading about his injury record. Um, yeah. I mean, it, so it, it it really is quite extensive. I mean, his goals goal scoring is incredible, but he's missed 16 games this season for Borussia Dortmund, total of 95 days on the sideline, uh, and he had muscular problems. Uh, his hip flex, he had a hip flexor problem. An ankle problem kept him out from January to March. Now those are uh, he also missed ten games through for uh, injury for the for for uh, 2021 season, right? So uh, he has quite an extensive injury record, and uh, I'm told that some of the other clubs that looked at him uh, were put off by that.
1: Yeah, I mean, personally, I think that this. For me, the biggest, the most surprising thing about this is not necessarily that he is going to Manchester City, but the fact that this was able to be completed so early, um, for me to have, let's be honest, probably the most uh, exciting player on the market after Kylian Mbappe, who really seems like it's between uh, renewing with Paris Saint-Germain or, or signing with Real Madrid, right? A two-way street. So obviously not too much competition. Uh, but the player you'd think would have the most competition Erling on uh, to have this deal completed before the season. For me, that is pretty interesting.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you about Pep Guardiola because <clears throat> he spends $100 million on Jack Grealish. Uh, now he spends you know, a fortune here on uh, Erling Haaland. Julian Alvarez, of course, is still to come to. Yet he hasn't delivered what he was brought to do. He went to Bayern Munich and Enk is just on the travel the Champions League. He was not able to win the Champions League for Bayern Munich. Hasn't won it since Barcelona. uh, Was that 2010 or something? 11. uh, When they beat United in the final. Um, So at the moment, he's matched Pellegrini. He's matched Mancini. There's no question City are exceptional on the pitch. But what if he doesn't win the Champions League again next year? I mean, at some point, City owners, as much as they love Guardiola, want to return that investment, and they want that European Cup. That's their holy grail. But as we've seen, now, to me, I think if Guardiola walked out of the city today, I would say, I wouldn't say it's been a failure, but I would say it's been a disappointment.
1: Listen, I mean, I do not think that there should be, I, I, I absolutely, if Pep Guardiola walked away today, uh, it would be considered, I think, a success, but with a disappointing taste—a bright, a bitter taste. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether or not they win the title, uh, looking at how much they have spent in recent years, you know, Jack Grealish and so many other players, you know, and that's really the difference. Why Liverpool have a better squad depth, right? Absolutely. Um, you you see how City have spent likes of 100 million, right, on one player, Jack Grealish. And Liverpool spent the same amount with Luis Diaz, Costa Simicas, um, you know, Nebi Keita, I could go on. Um, that is really the difference between the two sides.
0: I would have to say, as much as it kills me to say this, Liverpool are on merit. They're exceptionally well managed. They bought exceptionally well. Uh, they fixed a lot of the problems that existed before club came. There used to be a lot of talk about the transfer committee that really frustrated Liverpool fans. None of these problems are even talked about. I want to ask you about Jack Grealish because 100 million has been a disappointing season. Is he really suited to the way City play?
1: Listen, I mean, I have been, uh, I, I have opted against criticizing Grealish too harshly uh, because of so many other City previous signings in the past, looking at likes of Rodri, uh, Leroy Sané, who struggled in their first seasons and became You know, overwhelming successes, but honestly, he has been, for me, one of the two most disappointing signings in the Premier League this season um, alongside, I would say, Romelu Lukaku. Uh, For me, just such a disappointment, and I I think that even in games where Grealish has had an uh, an impact since coming off the bench, right? For example, uh, the Real Madrid game. And getting himself into two very good goal-scoring positions and yet blowing both of them, for me, that, that has just been the difference, him lacking that quality and perhaps lacking the, uh, the the ability, the patience, and knowing that, you know, whereas in Aston Villa, I'd have the chance, I'd have that same chance uh, three times a game, right, because the game revolves around me, to so knowing that. You've really only got one chance and a few moments to make in the Champions League in such a uh, faster pace.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I want to switch, uh, switch our attention quickly to Copa Italia. Inter, uh, of course, win the Copa Italia yesterday. Uh, brilliant, brilliant game. A couple of talking points. Uh, first of all, Chiellini uh, announced he will not be staying at Juventus this season, uh, the next season. Looks like possibly coming to MLS. Uh one of the game's great, great defenders, great characters. Uh, end of an era at uh, Chiellini. Would you go Would you go for him if you're an MLS club?
1: Yeah, I, I would. I think that looking at his injury record, it has not been too bad over the past few years. Giorgio Chiellini, he has still shown that he is the quality, uh, I think, to lead the right defense. We saw that in Italy, uh, but also Juventus, um, You know, leading them to the European Championship and really just showing on multiple occasions uh, that he is still that guy in defense. I think it is the right move for Juventus to move on. I think that uh, this season has been such a disappointing you know, fourth-place finish and losing in the Coppa Italia final. And it's right that they had this transition right, to younger players. That's why they're letting go of Paolo Di Valla, refusing to bend to his wage demands, letting go of an injury-prone, 29-year-old player, now letting go of Chiellini. Uh, It's the right move, I think, uh, to bring in a new defensive leader. Um, Even though you still have Leonardo Bonucci, I definitely think they can upgrade in central defense and provide some competition, some genuine competition, uh, to Matthijs De Ligt, who I think has lacked that following, you know, like Mary De Moral and uh, Christian Romero's departures. Um, For me, you know, we've seen on multiple occasions including uh, the Coppa Italia final, that he has really uh, been, I would say, error prone and really letting his team down, of course, uh, as well against the, in the Villarreal game. Uh, So I think he is in need of genuine competition. He's still good enough to be the starter in defense, but I do think that he could use some
0: competition. You think that was a penalty? I think so. Yeah. You know, when I first watched it, it looked like to me, LaToro Martinez, uh, he essentially was trying to his leg hit Bonucci rather than Bonucci hitting uh, LaToro, uh, and then the leg, a little bit of a push on him. It could have went either way to me. Um, I thought it was a really, really close decision. Uh, I, personally, in real time, I probably wouldn't have given it because I, I felt that it was more of martinez hitting Pinucci than anything else yeah let me ask you first trophy since uh, first time since 2010 11 Juventus has not won a trophy um allegri was criticized he was criticized for the lineup uh the midfield that he picked uh criticized for the subs that he made bringing off the ball when you're three2 down. um do you could you find a legitimate criticism of uh allegri in this game Uh, over the course of the
1: season as well absolutely for me it has been a very disappointing season for uh, Max Allegri you know going back just a few years I would have put this guy in my top five managers or at least top seven in European football despite the the fact that he is a defensive manager he knows how to get titles he knows how to get wins Uh, but you know in his return Uh, to Juventus, for me, he's just had so much to be desired. This team has been really disappointing. Absolutely, he will get another season and, you know, new reinforcements. Um, And that's why you're seeing uh, Dybala and Chiellini leaving to free up space in the wage bill. Now it's up to Juventus to usher in younger players, uh, such as, you know, Francisco Miretti um, in midfield, as well as others. Um, we've seen Dennis Zakaria join in the January window, but he has been, for me, a bit disappointing. So I definitely think some midfield reinforcements are needed. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, overall, I think similar to Paris Saint-Germain Juventus, uh, you know, an early elimination in the Champions League and a, a very disappointing season uh, that really says less about their form than the form of the competitors, right? The form of Roma, Lazio, Atalanta, Fiorentina, with all due respect to them, uh, you know, in the season. And Juventus just having that little bit more uh, consistency. Uh, and I think the, also the impact of Dusan Blachowicz um, from in the January window.
0: If you're Andrea Pirlo, what are you thinking right now? Because do you think he's like going, go you're way too premature in sacking me"? Um
1: no, I, I think that Pirlo recognizes he was way too early for the job, and you know yes I, I, I he was not the only problem absolutely at Juventus. For me, he's still far off from that level, but we'll see what happens with him in his in a next job. I know he was there was like one uh rumor linking him to replace Carlos Carvalhal at Braga this summer. Mm. Uh, but we'll see what happens with Pirlo. I, I'd like to see him in management, definitely.
0: The other question, of course, then, turns to Simone and Zaghi. Uh, he yep. They're still in a title race, right? Uh, really exciting title race, two points separating them and AC Milan. Yep. Um, and, of course, they've won. now won the Copa Italia. Uh, how highly do you rate Simone Inzaghi?
1: I rate Nzagi very highly. I think that you know he has done, he did a very good job on a limited budget at Lazio, uh, really taking the team, you know, t- to the Champions League and really overachieving uh, based on looking at the competition, looking at how much this team has spent, uh, but has did a fantastic job developing players such as Ciro Immobile, Sergei milinkovic savic Luis Alberto, you know, doing such a great job with these more attack-minded players, um, I would say. And, you know, I-, I think that he's carried it over and been such an impressive replacement for Antonio Conte he has not had easy shoes to fill um obviously after Conte left as well as you know just replacing these players uh that that this team has that this team uh, lost with Achraf Hakimi and Romelu Lukaku you know they brought in mm-hmm. a 36 year old Eden Jekko and Denzel Dumfries, Dumfries bringing in yeah. some other players you know did a fairly good job there um but overall just keeping together the others and and really uh, implementing a solid structure that has seen Inter, uh, you know, already win a title and perhaps not win, maybe they will, maybe they won't win the Scudetto, um, but it's it goes for about, you know, obviously the uh, Radu error from a few weeks ago will go down as the thing that ultimately costs them if Milan do win the Scudetto, Overall, I think that, the, that Stefano and Pioli aside have a slightly more difficult uh, uh, schedule. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with the final
0: two weeks. God, it'd be awful for Radio if that was what ended up deciding the title while I'm staying. Before we go, I want to ask you about um, EA Sports. Uh, of course, sure. their, their licensing agreement coming to an end with FIFA. Uh, yeah. There's one more year left. Um, this has been a bullet contention for a while because I know some of the players have been unhappy about their image rights being sold. Ibra, of course, came out and talked about this. Um but to me, EA Sports achieved something that football never could do on its own. And that was penetrate the US market and create brand awareness of players, clubs. It talked about it's because if I talk to young American kids, so much of what they know about football started there. And then that fed into wanting to watch football for real and following these teams and following these players. And I really think that there has to be a better solution because now they're saying they're going to outsource these licenses to everybody. Uh, I think what's going to change is there's going to be no World Cup and, uh, in these games. I really think this is a mistake because this, football is starting to really take hold in this country, as you know. It's becoming a much more mainstream sport. And this has been a crucial vehicle for football to uh, penetrate this market. I think this is a mistake.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I just so happen to be one of those young Americans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I honestly admit, I I would not be anywhere near as interested in football if it were not for FIFA, (laughs) Um, honestly. in growing up in the United States, I liked, younger on, I honestly liked uh, sports such as football, uh, American football and basketball more, but honestly, FIFA uh, definitely helped swerve that. So I, for me, you just cannot deny the influence in making football one of the most popular sports and one of the, really the fastest growing sport in the United States uh, and really driving that new generation of fans. It has been so successful um, and yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. And there's,
0: um, Because there's so much on-track revenue that you really aren't able to attribute to this, such as uh, the revenue you get from increased viewing figures on television and everything that FIFA has had such a direct impact in, such as the, the purchases of merchandise, football shirts, everything. Um, you know, all of this is connected to that game, and I just feel that uh, there's so many revenue streams that have developed as a result of the popularity of this game that they were asking EA Sports, I think, to pay $300 million for the licensing rates, which is just extraordinary to me. Um, yeah. And I feel that uh, football and football players, because this modern-day image rates modern is worth a lot of money. And to me, yeah. I think the, the dividend that you get from all the other revenue streams is worth it. For letting them use your license and use your name in these games because that breach brand- I mean, I'm talking the American kids that know who per murder sacker is, right? Yep. Because of this game. Don't tell me they would know who per murder was because of NBC's coverage or you know ESPN's coverage. I mean, there's t- yeah. t- it's it's ridiculous. But anyway, Zach, we'll leave it there. Folks, as always, thanks so much for downloading the show and for listening. We appreciate all you doing, all, all of you doing that and your feedback. Don't forget, follow Zach at Zach Louie. That's, that's the correct Twitter address, right? Yeah,
1: Z-A-C-H-L-O-W-Y. Yeah,
0: and his fantastic website, Breaking the Lines. Uh, sure. We will be back next week, and uh, go ahead and email us or at uh, pitch at gmail.com if you've got any questions, any comments on the show, um, and uh, we appreciate your feedback because we will be doing this every week and uh, primarily covering – I know we've mainly focused on European football, but um, our our focus will be on a much broader brush uh, with world football and other topics that are making the headlines. So if you've got anything you want us to cover, just let us know. Zach, thanks very much as always, mate. Take it easy.
1: Thank you so much. Once again, pleasure.
0: Cheers, folks. Bye.